heavy track today. Yeah, not vibing risky lettuce, getting sinker vibes. I don't know, says on the Tab app she's firming. Don't just vibe it, get expert tips in Tab's new race feed. Tab, we're on. What are you really gambling with? Welcome to RSN's Racing Pulse. Imperatrice called upon, still three lengths in front, and the Tangerine Tsunami's going to do it again. Imperatrice won it well. Without a fight, runs on, lays in on top of Gold Trip. West Wind blows 100 to go. Without a fight, coming at it. Without a fight, West Wind blows. The heads in unison. Without a fight. Without a fight from the Caulfield Cup. Romantic warrior, Mr. Brightside. Still alligator blood. Mr. Brightside coming at it with The breaking racing news, the stories, opinion, the mail, and the people who make racing happen. Here's Michael Felgate. Welcome to Racing Pulse on this Monday, the 20th of November, after another Group 1 weekend of racing at Caulfield. What did you make of the first Caulfield 1000, featuring the 1000 Guineas and the Group 1 Rupert Clark Stakes? We're going to dissect and discuss it all. We'll speak to the major players, the winners... Graham Beck finally gets a Group 1, something to end the Spring Carnival on a high after a bit of a roller coaster spring for Graham. We'll have a chat to him this morning on the program. We'll also catch up a little bit later with Gemma Riley. How good was that win? Clade Moore in the final of the Country Cup. And we'll also speak to Brendan Lindsay, who is the owner, not the breeder, but the owner of the Thousand Guineas winner, who no doubt will be standing at Cambridge Stud in the years to come. Mick Sharkey, Matt Stewart are here to talk about it all. How are you, gents? I'm not bad. I was a zoo yesterday. A zoo man. what, sorry? A zoo man. Zoo man. Went zoo to man. the zoo. And you got out again. Yes, oh. yeah, I wasn't there. Uh, I got mean, into the primate section and there was a lot <laughs> of questions being asked. My only objection to the zoo is that it's so well done that the animals are hard to find. I actually couldn't find... I saw the snow leopard and that was about it, so... Um, anyway, if anyone's thinking of doing any holidays and wants to see an occasional animal, go to the zoo. Could be the greatest looking cat in the history of cats, the snow leopard. It's the winks of cats. It is the well, yeah. It's it's a very good cat. It's mm. it's, it's the elite cat, I would say. No, you could, what about the the meerkat? They're a good cat. Is well, it a not cat? Actually a it's cat. not a cat. It's <laughs> more of a rat. <laughs> they're a mere. M, they're a cat with a K A T. It's, it's a rat with personality. Yeah, no, and they, they're very curious. I, um, um, I'm curious about what we think about yeah Saturday. Well, I thought it was a it was a good day, but unfortunately, it, it oh. had the the cloud of the way the track raced. And we'll talk more about... I tried to get a hold of Tim Bailey early this morning. I haven't been able to get a hold of him to get a bit of an update. And also uh, Jake Norton from the MRC, because they will obviously do a full review. It wasn't up to standard for a Group 1 day. And it's disappointing that it was on the first shift of what was a really good card. And I think everyone was excited by it. We still had good horses. And I don't think it made a difference to the actual Rupert Clark win. I don't think anything was beating Magic Time. Mm -hmm. But it certainly made it difficult for horses getting back and off the fence, Sharky. Oh, it was evident very early in the meeting, wasn't it? And you sort of hoped it would turn around. You know, Caulfield can be a bit leaderish or nearer the rail on, on a warm, sunny day when the track's quick, but it tends to even out later in the day, doesn't it? And horses start to sort of track a, a wider path and they're able to make 
make that ground up. But you got to the thousand guineas and you had a horse like Skybird, who's so relentless her last 400 metres of the races, and she started to peel out into that running line. You think, okay, let's see if you can make ground. It was like she was sort of in sort of slow motion she there. She ran enormous to get through. <laughs> she was a massive run, but it was just wasn't able to, to pick up. Yeah, it'd be interesting to hear what the track experts have to say at, at the MRC, what perhaps their explanation was, Maddie, because it, it, did, it did just pour a bit of cold water on what was a really good day, and I love the concept of the 1,000 guineas on this day. I thought it was a very good field, and, and I think the form will be very good out of the race, but question mark, asterisk, whatever you want to say, given the way the, the track was playing. It's almost like we can't do anything about it. Like, we're in 2023, we've got all the technology... So much focus on it from from various people, uh, but we can't do anything about it. Track bias. I mean, rail movements are always defended by the need to protect the track. The amount we race means that we have to move the rail. Um, you know, I know that this has been discussed uh, in a few um, Sydney columns on a on a on a one of the racing websites about this is the biggest issue in racing, and but but it's been the biggest issue in racing for a hundred years. Well, I, there's a number of factors like the wind played. Um, I suppose, have it with a couple of the race days over Cup Week, which is nothing the track managers can do about mm. that. But Saturday seemed to be more about it was far better to be on the rail um, than it was out. Now, is that, that because was the same of the, Flemington. Is that because... That, I think that was more wind than actually the track. But the, but the result was, was the same. Then. But the, the actual yeah, but consequence was What the can same. the track manager do about a, a strong... No, I'm, not, I'm saying that wind. they can't do anything about it, but, but the actual pattern, it forced the same pattern on Flemington as it did at Caulfield. But yeah. Caulfield was worse. Yeah. yeah, so now is that because it's the first time they had to come back four weeks when they'd normally have their regeneration? I'm sure they'll learn a lot out of it, but I just... It'll be interesting to, I suppose, maybe tomorrow we'll try and get Tim on or someone from the MRC to say, hey, after we've gone back and reviewed mm. it, we've looked at this, mm. X, Y, Z, what occurred. Remember about five, oh, it could even be longer ago, remember about five or six years ago they had that really biased track at Flemington um, and it was because they'd mown the inside strip shorter than the Outside. That was longer ago. That was under the McGoody jurisdiction. Yeah, ages yeah. ago. Yeah, ten years ago, I reckon. Ten years ago. So, do they put their hands all over it, like like Flemington at that time, or do they take their hands off it and and let Mother Nature decide? It's it's just uh, it's just well, what do you do? I mean, we're in a very technological age, and it's still as big an issue as it ever was. So it suggests to me that you can't actually factor against Mother Nature. You know, mm, like you, yeah. there's not much you can do. As far as whether the meeting succeeded or not, I, I think we don't know one way or the other because... I think it's a tick. I, I, I thought it was a great build-up. I thought... I think the crowd is probably what they were roughly expecting. Um, there's a few SMSs what saying already... 7,400. 7 to 9, I think they were hoping for. But there's a few SMSs saying that... Um, why were there no trains working on Saturday? Uh, that would have kept mm. the um, crowds down. That would have had an effect. Yeah. Which uh, I think it was the Frankston line was closed. I think there was an occupation at um, um, the Parkdale right. rail. See, buses replacing trains is the most horrific thing you can ever hear. Oh, you just, you just no don't way. do it. No way. So there was no trains and it's still a construction site and it's still people getting their head around, well, hang on, this is a meeting that, you know, is on. Um but I still don't know whether the KPIs will say that it it's it held its line from if we hadn't have made the changes at all. Like, if we hadn't have done anything, would the KPIs at the end of the spring still be the same to, to having given that we did do the Caulfield thing? So 
I, I, and, and then what plays out in the future is, is these, say, these good fillies who ran in the 1,000 guineas, are they resurrectable for a proper autumn campaign now or do they have a compromised autumn campaign that ends up in Brisbane because they can't get them up because of, because of the turnaround? Well, what would the, the target would be, you would think the Australian guineas, if they were heading towards a mile group one, otherwise you're, you're rolling back into the Sydney Carnival. So you've got a little bit more time. Well, it's okay. probably it's, it's okay. it'll be interesting to see if it rules out Australian Guineas, CUNY Stakes type campaigns that are the big thing in Melbourne in the summer autumn. Whether those sort of fillies, and whether it's a big deal or not, whether the connections of those horses go, you know what, we we knew that going in, and we're now going to target the Tats Tiara and the Coolmore in Sydney. So, um, so what I'm saying, Michael, is I don't think we can say that it succeeded or failed because I don't think we have quite the the evidence one way or the other yet. So the the Rationale behind it was to expand the the Spring Carnival premium um, racing another week, and there's even discussions that possibly next year, off the back of this, depending on what the KPIs, as you mentioned, look like, that they could go Caulfield again and move the Zipping Classic meeting to this Saturday following the Thousand Guineas meeting, pushing the Cranbourne Cup back another week, and then... Ballarat and everything else because there's a perception that and I think turnover says it that once you move to the country or outside the metro tracks it's basically that's the end of the carnival even though Cream and Cup Day is a cracking race day I think the outside general consensus is that so there's a want to try and keep the city standard spring carnival meetings go longer. Problem is you run out of horses eventually like if you yeah. you know there was always this talk about the country cups all being too too many it at this time of year. So then if you keep the, the city thing going with the zipping and whatever else, what the hell is going to be left for the Cranbourne and Packenham Cups? You're just going to have goat races. So oh. I think those who make these decisions but about all... Oh, it's good prize money. You play yeah. it smart, you've got good prize money. Some yeah, but, 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 but the nature of the the game is we want... One of the, one of the premium requirements is that we get the best fields possible. You know, you don't... You don't do a New South Wales and put on three million dollars and have goats running for it. I mean, that's just that just makes no sense, you know. So, I think what'll happen is you'll run out of horses. Yeah, I can definitely see a, a strain on a quality horse. You know, from listed grade above, it's difficult to to muster depth of the fields, isn't it? When you when you're pushing when you start early in August and you're pushing into December, yeah, there's, it's it's a finite resource stakes class horses. And I think what happens after the spring carnival is where we recruit. That's grassroots and that it's it's plays such an important role because it's not it's not seen in, in wagering turnover straight away. It's not gonna be say Cranbourne standalone is not going to be quite the same as Caulfield and you know the the Jericho and the picnics and all these sorts of things that go on and the the, the Dunkeld Cup they're not as they're not easy to measure in that sense, but they, in the overall sense of things, they play a massive role, you know. Mm. And they they're entitled to have their time in the sun as well for, to to maximise their potential. Yeah, um, we'll talk a little bit later um, about it. We'll the announcement this morning: Racing Victoria, the Future Stars, um, which is a great concept, three hundred thousand dollars for the, for maideners, and it's going to be run on the newly scheduled Packenham Cup Thursday night meeting. Um, well, see, I don't know why Packenham ever agreed to that. Well, there's an SMS. Packetham Cup announced for Thursday night. A bit rough having the club's premium meeting on a work night. Um, Greyhound Racing Victoria moved the Melbourne Cup from a Thursday night to a Friday night to a Saturday night for crowds and presents. But the Packetham Cup was getting lost where it was currently. By uh, whose definition? 
because there were so many cups. And you've had this yeah, no, no, but, but they same were, cups, same races, week after week after week, making them weaker races. But the other measures were Pakenham was building and building with crowds and stuff. They were starting to get a toehold in that, you know, they were getting marquees and so on. So... Like they they would say that they were they were building something where they were, but you might be right about the quality of the horses. But who on earth would sacrifice a stand? If you're the club, not racing Victoria, and you want to do what's best for your club and build it, why would you give up a standalone Saturday to go to a Thursday night? That's not going to be good for your club. It'll be interesting to see what the turnover comparison is. Uh, a huge Thursday night meeting v what would but be. But what's a, the definition of a huge Thursday night meeting? The prize money you're going to put on. For that, but compared still to Thursday a normal night. Thursday night, still that, Thursday that's what I'm saying. It'll be yeah. interesting yeah. to see. Hey, let's talk to one man and get his opinion on the movement of the meetings and what it does for the preparations of horses. He certainly won't be arguing about the movement of the Rupert Clark because his beautiful mare finally got her Group One victory. Magic time. General Bow Buffalo River with I Am Me who strides up on the outside at the 250. Rota Arataki is running on. Magic Time the outside then cause for concern. I Am Me at the 150 a length in front. Magic Time is digging in now under hands and heels. Takes the lead skew if late but it's Magic Time coming clear a class act. Magic Time won it. Yeah, well summed up by Maddie Hill. She is a class act. Five wins from eight starts. Only missed a place once. $1.2 million in the bank and now a Group 1 winner. Graham, congratulations. It's been a bit of a tumultuous spring carnival, but what a lovely way to finish. Yeah, no, Graham rose to the top at the finish, so <laughs> um, got the uh, result that we were looking for, so that no, was very, very good. You're very good with the ladies, Graham, the lady horses, <laughs> and as was your dad. We were talking about it on the radio yesterday. Like, is there a specific training skill to be a great trainer but also be a better trainer of fillies and mares than, than most? Is it, I imagine there's something you learnt from your dad. Is there a different management skill that allows you to be such a great trainer of fillies and mares? I think it's uh, just read the horse. Just take notes what they're telling you. Uh, you know, they need the time. Give them the time, um, just space. I think. I think a lot of, lot of, lot of things we overtrain horses. You know, uh, I think less is more. Uh, I think uh, you know we tend to once we get them fit, we try to keep you know dr drilling them, and uh, I think you know go the opposite way once they're up and running, and do as little as possible, and uh, just maintenance work and keep them ticking over and uh, changing changing things up. Do mares and fillies respond more to less is more than the, the colts and the geldings? Uh, I think it's a matter of keeping horses' heads right, to be truthful. It doesn't matter. You know, if you've got a happy horse, um, they'll perform. Graeme, does she benefit from just having those races spaced right out? And at what point was the Rupert Clark the absolute grand final target for her? But when you look at her... <laughs> prep and her history. She's been so effective over sprint trips. She won that 1,400 metre race at her second start going back to November last year. When this race moved back in the spring, did you just think, ooh, this suits this girl. We can just uh, take it slowly, slowly and lob here, hopefully in good form? Well, to answer your question, first question, um, she loves races being spaced. I mm. probably learnt something last, or last autumn um, when she won the uh, race at uh, Randwick on the heavy, very heavy track on Doncaster Day. Mm. Uh, it was a very quick turnaround, only two weeks into the James Carr. Um, you know, she was short price favourite on the day. She probably was a little bit flat. Um, and, you know, we felt that possibly, you know, reflecting on that, that it was quick, too quick a turnaround for her. 
on the day after putting up such a great performance to be able to win that race on the heavy ground. Um, so we thought, well, let's just try to space the races and try to tailor her preparations around that. And she really thrives on, you know, not running every two weeks. Um, so, yeah, certainly it just works perfectly for her. Uh, also, originally we didn't really have the Rupert Clark on the um, on the radar, to be truthful. I could have left her in Sydney and she ran in the uh, hot Danish the week before, which was a set weight race for mares. But I just felt that, uh, you know, she was going to get well treated with the, 50, with the 53 or just off the limit, um, that she'd be very well suited in that race on Saturday. And the style of race it was going to be, uh, they don't sit in loaf in those sort of races and give her a chance to race a little bit off speed and give her a chance to finish a race off. Because I reckon she's a, she's a gun when she's ridden a bit quieter in her races and can be allowed to finish off. Well, that was her sire Hellbent's trademark as well, so she's probably a bit like him in that sense. Hey, Graham, she's the first winner of the new Rupert Clark on this day, so you're a good one to ask about how it may affect her autumn campaign. Um, was it an issue? Um, I think you probably pretty much answered that, getting her, you know, saving her for this with, with the autumn in mind. Do, are you a fan of the the adjustment? And do you think horses that came through, say, the Rupert Clark and the, and the Guineas will be able to have the same sort of autumn campaigns as they had previously? I think it'll be very difficult um, because you're, you know, really stretching it out as it is, you know, when the Flemington meeting finishes every year, you've only always got a very tight turnaround to prepare horses for the autumn. So um, it makes it tight. Um, that silly particularly magic time, she'll go out this week. Uh, but I'd be surprised if she uh, races in Melbourne in the autumn. She'll more likely go to Sydney and be more ready to run sort of uh, somewhere, you know, um, late March into April and uh, possibly go on to Brisbane because you can't do everything. Well, that's that's basically missing the summer and the autumn. So, you know, those fillies, those nice fillies that went around in the thousand guineas, would you imagine it might be difficult for their trainers to set them for something like the CUNY and the Australian guineas? Oh, totally. Yeah, totally. It'll, it'll be difficult. I think a lot of those fillies you'll find will probably more likely target an Australasian Oaks, mm. um, you know, or Queensland possibly. It's just too tight a turnaround for them, and they're still only young horses. And that's the thing, you know, OK, it's all very good putting the race meetings back and going into that phase of trying to extend the carnival, but they've got to remember they're animals, and they're, a lot of them are young animals, you know, um, and you keep on pressuring them, they won't be around. And you've had... A spring where even well-furnished horses like Luna Flair, you know, racing got them in the end. Like it was, uh, you know, they, they succumb because they're not they're not perfect machines, aren't they? So you you need to. That this is the counterbalance. I'm not bagging the concept at all, but it it, it is that horsemanship angle that probably they need to factor in as well. Well, that's right, and you know, like we had a runner in the uh, thousand guineas, and, and uh, to her credit, she ran very well. But we, you know, specifically set her for that race. Uh, she had the three lead-up runs into it, and, and you know we were happy to go down that path. But now that filly will go out for a break, so she won't run. I'd be very surprised she runs in Melbourne in the autumn. She'll be uh, targeting Adelaide uh, or possibly Brisbane as well. You know, um, so yeah, so she'll be lost. But it'll be very hard for those fillies to turn around and and come back to running the likes of the Cuny Stakes and those races. You know.
Graham, from Phillies to a cult that might have slipped under the radar a little bit earlier in the week. At Seymour last week, we saw De Bergerac go and win the latest nice horse from Yao Chin, who's done a great job for for you and the team. Yes, and he did all his preparatory work up at Reneva Park, actually. Oh, oh, oh hang on a minute, you two. What's his cash for comment? Thank you for Have that. you had a chat before we came on here, <laughs> you two? I'm thinking, I'm thinking that's a strange segue. Oh, We've still got to talk shit. about Rose Quartz and yeah, yeah, the, 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 the trap pattern on the day that like, the punters are into. Bugger that. Yeah, yeah, don't worry gee, about whiz. Rose Quartz. It's a nice sort of cult getting, there, Graham. you getting free, yeah, free he's training? He's a very nice horse. He's been a he's a bit of a lad, so uh, that's why we he, he had to jump out. and He went a bit shinny, so we sent him up 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 the road to Leneva and uh, oh Leneva, what a wonderful farm it is with the pastures <laughs> and the close proximity to I'll town. T- I'll tell you what, Matty, if you only came, a kilometre off the highway, if you came up for a month, Matty, we'd get you in good shape too. Oh. Anyway, Monday. he actually thrived up there. and We got him back in good order. Anyway, he went to the race on Friday and got the job done. Now we're going to put an end to this cash for comment. Half to written hey. by. Ah, oh, there you go. Mm. Hey, Graham, uh, what do we do about track bias? Is there anything we can do? Oh, just, just you know, I, I've got the highest admiration for, for Tim Bale. I just reckon he's a gun as far as him and Liam, you know, the way they present their tracks. Um, it's not an easy job for sure, you know. You know, I wouldn't want that task of preparing tracks, but, you know, um, I feel that, you know, a lot of our tracks, you know, they try to produce a good four and, you know, it's going to struggle to hold a good four for most of the day. And they're long days, actually. Um, so Saturday, OK, uh, it certainly looked like it was favouring horses close to the fence and up on speed. Um, you know, so what do you do? It, it's, it's a hard, It's a very difficult task. Well, when you've got a horse like Magic Time, you can overcome. Just sit out wide and come from behind. Is, is, is uh, she as good as passive-aggressive? I, I wonder whether she might be, because I remember when we spoke to you about passive-aggressive, you said, oh, I don't think I've trained a better one, and she was a gun. I, have you got another gun straight on the heels of passive-aggressive? Yeah, there you go. Very fortunate. Well, passive-aggressive has just gone back into training at Leneva. Hang on a minute. I thought she was retired. Yeah. She was. She uh, she went to I'm Invincible and failed to get in fold. Uh, she had a couple of covers. Um, and it was decided it was getting too late on in the season, and she's gone back into training. Well, with that, the magic pasture of Leneva, she'll come out and win everything in the autumn, won't she? Well, you never know. Could have sounded a fierce impact. He gets everything in fall. Well, what would you, um, gee, a superstar, like, would you, I mean, I imagine the um, the Robert Sangster's a, a lovely race for a mare like her, but what are you what are you thinking? Oh, she'll probably more than likely uh, get ready for maybe a lightning or... Also, the race that she won in Sydney uh, last year, the uh, the Challenge Stakes, would be sort of a couple of races which would be very suited to her, you know. So, but anyway, we've got to get her back and make sure she's fine and, and get her back ticking over and, and see how she comes up. Well, that is good news. Another yeah. top-line sprinter back in uh, in the hunt. And um, it gives you a bit of uh, added impetus, I suppose, because uh, we mentioned it's been a tough spring. And I, I heard that Sue was on this morning with Andrew's been... In the, um, you might need to send her to Leneva. <laughs> She's needing uh, a bit of rest and recovery as well. Yeah, no, she had an injury uh, caused by our whippets uh, running oh. in the park and oh. bowled her over, and uh, she broke her ankle very badly. Oh. Anyway, she had to get plates and screws, and she just had a little bit of a hiccup uh, last week where it got infected and 
bit, bit nasty looking at the time and uh, so we got her in hospital and got her on some, uh, you know heart strong antibiotics intravenously you know so hopefully she's turned the corner now and she'll be back on deck but she uh, won't be moving around too quickly bloody whippets Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Only half a greyhound, mate. Just get a fair income one. <laughs> yeah, they're too high energy, actually. Yeah. Actually, greyhounds aren't that bloody fast. <laughs> hey, just a, a quick one before I let you go. Gee, I thought uh, Miraval Rose was big. Did Did you think, oh, not another one of these days? Did you think she'd won? Well, to the naked eye, I thought she got beaten watching the race, and then they put the uh, frame up. I said, oh, jeez, you know, she's got close here, you know, closer than I thought. Uh, but look, she's a very promising filly. Like a, she's a filly uh, who will run in two weeks' time in the Twilight Glow, 1400 metres, which we think she'll be very well suited. And uh, that's just great that uh, you know that uh, she's by that horse Grunt, who's mm. doing a good job. Um, so we paid Grunt. Of, yeah, we paid a bit of money for her, and uh, she's a really nice filly and very progressive. You know. Uh, well done, Graham. Great way to finish the uh, the spring carnival, winning one of the last group ones or the last group one of uh, the spring here in Melbourne. Um, we'll catch up soon. Look forward, and that's great news too. That passive uh, aggressive is back in work, and we'll get to see her in the autumn as well. Thanks, guys. Good Thank on you, Graham. You. Popular hangout for Graham and Sue is the over the summer months is the um, the outdoor area of the Royal uh, down on the beach at Mornington. That's their little... Uh, if you want a celebrity spot, the, the Begs. The Royal. Yeah. Celebrity spot. Celebrity spot, <laughs> the Begs. Hey, just quickly, I know we'll talk about it later, but I just want to sort of quickly make some reference to it, talk about watering tracks and bias and so on. I'm going to have a chat to Danny Walker on Cracking the Codes a bit later. The picnic jockey he spoke to Razor Douglas yesterday. I'm bit concerned about this spate of wipeouts of the picnic tracks after three and a half years of out of, of nothing. Um, and Danny's got some ideas about watering on whether whether it's actually leads to a uh, it's a it's a it's a worse scenario for the picnic tracks. Uh, we lost Yay, we've lost um, Alexandra. I, I just think there's a bit of a, a worrying pattern here, and uh, we're going to sort of explore that a bit later yeah, on. Yeah, we'll talk about it a little later as well. Keep your SMSs coming. I'll get to those after the break. The Beaten Brigade in at the Rupert Clark and the Thousand Guineas. All that's still to come. Placing their opinion on the line, it's The Verdict. Welcome back to The Verdict. Matty Stewart, Mick Sharkey and Racing Pulse. The Verdict is brought to you by the Tab Breeders Crown. Celebrate the next big things in harness racing at the Tab Breeders Crown Finals this Saturday night at Melton Entertainment Park. A lot of SMSs are, are coming through here, gents. Hey, Matty, I'm glad you clarified which royal uh, Graham Big hangs out. Yep. <laughs> and then it was funny, though, because when that SMS came through, I innocently said, oh, what's this SMS referring to? And all three of the other gentlemen in this room went, oh, don't you know about the other royal? <laughs> what, the Royal Mount Dunkel? No, there's apparently a royal near the MCG where it's a fairly liberal sort of approach to... Um, I'd stop there. Uh, waitress uh, attire. Oh, um, Thursday night is now the new Friday night for full-time workers. I would guess Packenham has prioritised off-course revenue for on-course experience. Um, so there's someone having a say on the movement yeah. of the Packenham Cup to a Thursday night. Um, Jeff says, water well over the inside rail to hold up the moisture to prevent the inside track drying too much can cause bias. 
Uh, morning, guys. I sent a text uh, last week uh, saying I'm excited to go to Dunkeld. I just want to report that it was fantastic. Plenty of room. Our marquee was a short distance away from the mounting yard. Uh, everyone who was there had a great time. Uh, the costs were reasonable, seven, seven bucks for a can of beer, not a plastic cup in sight. We even had a committee member come to our marquee. Oh, come on. Uh, uh, come to our marquee to see if everything was okay. Had an awesome day. The trip will definitely be an annual event from now on. That's from Nikki. It might be the best. No one here's been to Dunkeld, have they? No, I'd love to it get there. Might be the. I have. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, I have. It was great. It was a long time ago, but. Uh... Are we interrupting your invoicing or something? No, no, no. no. <laughs> All good. I'm just uh, doing things at the same time. No, I've been there. It was a great day at the racing, uh, and then the the. Local restaurants, I reckon, I don't remember where we went. We didn't go to the Royal Mail. There was somewhere in a little town nearby that was very, very good. But it's a great little region Oh yeah, weekend, really. If you're going, you, you make a weekend of it. Well, you'd stay do at the Hall's Royal Gap Mail. and do the Wallabies and, you know, like hang around the campground. But I, I've got a feeling because I pride angle, myself yes. on seeking out all the exotic little country race meetings. I feel like I've missed out on probably what seems like it might be the actual I best I can't believe you haven't been one. there given where you like to yeah, go and like travel and explore. Um, I've got to get there then. Uh, next year I'm going to make a priority of it because it sounds like it's got all the uh, amazing ingredients. Maddie Nevitt was telling me it's very it's very young, like you know, blokes it is and very and all young. that sort of stuff. Yeah, but well, they get a lot. They drag a lot from Ballarat. And the surrounds, mm. sort of Hamilton, uh, even uh, some, the year I went, there some friends that came up from like the Cobden area and mm. all that. So it does drag them sort of far and wide from that western region. A lot of, a lot of bus trips. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of footy club, netball club sort of action. Yeah, yes. and Alana Kelly won the cup, which That's I'm you very should be taking happy. Your love bus. Yeah, a bit too far. Imagine how ragged the bus would be getting by the time we got to Balan on the way home. And Alana really Kelly won the cup, and we have a, had a chat to her yesterday, and I've been taunting her to get me a photo of some silo art, and she sent me some a lovely photo of a silo on her way home from the races with a galar on it. Oh, oh, wow. There you go. Um, it was a really good ride in that uh, Dunkel Cup too from Alana Kelly. Um, I live in Warren Ponds. I didn't go to the races on Saturday because there were no trains. It's a disgrace. Another SMS saying there were 13 rail lines down on Saturday for maintenance works. So that was the issue uh, as far as getting to Caulfield. Um, another one saying, I had a great day at Caulfield on Saturday. It was a pity the trains weren't running and construction still on, which probably uh, kept crowds lower. And also the Dunkeld meeting as well. Mm. Um, but there's a few punters there that said they had a really good day. I was a knocker of the uh, change of the race program. I have to eat my words. Great extension to spring. Well done, MRC. That's Rod from Strathmore. I don't disagree with that, but I don't think, it's either failed or succeeded. I just don't don't know where you said it had a big tick, but I I'm not saying it doesn't. It didn't pass muster, but I'm just not well, sure. I don't, we don't. Well, you want to say say more than one year is what you're well, saying. Well, I'm just not sure whether the evidence is there that it was an overwhelming success or the opposite, or that it didn't work. I just don't think there's it. I think it just sort of went through as we would have expected. You know. So, what do you make of some of the beaten brigade in the Sir Rupert Clark Stakes? Before we we get onto the thousand guineas, actually, let's hear from a snapshot of the jockeys from Dot Com. Black Shin, I am me. Yeah, I am Iran, absolutely phenomenal. Obviously, she jumped well. We got into a good posse. Uh, she was there to win. She gave me a good field. The winner was a bit better on the day, but she's up to group one, for sure. Dan Stackhouse, crossover. Yeah, disappointing. Uh, he didn't step very well. Um, struggled to travel off that hot speed and just sort of had to ride for a bit of luck, but uh, he's a bit disappointing second up. Jamie Carr, cause for concern? The track was just a bit firm for him today. Damien Oliver, Valana? He ran OK. The tempo was a bit strong for him. I think he likes it better when he can travel a little bit better and, and find his feet. 
Luke Curry, Munamek. Yeah, look, he, he run well. He had to go right back and, and rode him for luck. But um, if he drew a if he drew a gate, he would have been uh, thereabouts. Mark Zara, straight acer. Yeah, did a good job to run third. Obviously, the way the track's playing. Um, Rode accordingly, and a uh, big horse. I would have liked a little bit room um, sooner, but uh, still he ran well in the circumstances. Daniel Moore, Ayrton. Yeah, I ended up further back in the run than I would have liked. Um, obviously a race of high pressure. He had to come overcome some interference. To find a line the way he did was, uh, was admirable. So that's a few of the beaten jockeys. I think Ayrton was probably the unlucky runner in the race. I don't think any horse would have beaten Magic Time, but... Oh, gee, it was a horror watch if you backed out. Mm. And he got back further than expected, and he ran into a lot of rump stake in the straight. Straight ace, it was really good. Did, was I and me flattered by the, the pattern of the day? Well, and it was the opposite, I reckon, because the pace was just brutal because of to try and overcome the pattern. She had a beautiful running behind But her. she was the run of the race because they went crazy fast, and she was the only one that hung on. And all the ones that, you know, that flashed home were going to under the suit. The way they ran the race completely overrided the pattern in that race because they went Magic crazy. Magic was around the race. You can't yeah. put anything past her. No, no, you can't put anything past her, but the, the run of the race was the one that did race on pace and I and me because it was suicide. Look at all the ones around or that see where they finished. Um, so they reckon the the, 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 the the time data to the 800 plus seven lengths, eight to the four was around about parish and then a bit slow coming home as you say but they're still only the race time overall they're only putting it just under a length above average which is interesting well the jockeys but the jockeys were all you know the, there's that but there's also the jockey saying wow that was a crazily run right oh yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and yeah. i think not like, buffalo river missing the start mm. and then surging forward and, and putting the pressure on brazen uh, general bow rather i think that was probably one of those uh one of those little elements of the race that generated that speed. Yep. Uh, Wunamek is going really, really mm. well. He just had no luck again. Like back Last time he was sort of there behind the lead pack trying to get through and dart through late. This time he was too far back and trying to pick up and every time he found a gap, there was another horse coming back on his lap. First it was uh, Buffalo River, then it was others. Uh, yeah, he had a, a luckless passage as well. If they go to WA with him, He's right in a race like the gold, the gold Ollie Gold Rush. Yeah. Um, well, he is. He's jumping on the plane, heading over there. What if they'll take Ayrton there? Was that the plan? I, I can't remember. I I'm thought, not. I'm not yeah, sure. It was. It's... We spoke to Junior last week. I think right. he is going over there. Skew Whiff ran really well. Skew um, was good from yeah. back as well. Great mate, a race for for mares. We mentioned on Friday, isn't it? Like you look back at horses that have won that race and. You know, there are Wayers and uh, Pernos and, and mares like that that have, that have done... Okay, they're a f- few years ago now, but mares often run really well mm. in, the, in the Rupert Clark. Let's have a look at the 1,000 guineas now because uh, I think at the end of the, the day there was the, the favoured runners who were pretty much up there. Um, Skybird, how much did the pattern of the day cost her? She was really brave running third, but Jolie Star, it was Waller McDonald again in the 1,000 guineas. Jolie Star looms up and takes Orion. Kawervalond up the middle and Skybird out wide is starting to wind up but taking the lead Jolie Star. 150 metres to go from Kamochi and also Kawervalond the front runner. Jolie Star for James McDonald. Another big one and 2,000 guineas on the bounce. Jolie Star has won it from Kamochi, Skybird, Kawervalond.
The progression of good horses is a lot easier than average horses. It's as simple as that. So she's done it herself. We've just found the races turned, and she's turned up. Um, Stephen Arnold does a lot of job, lot of work for us. He came and rode her on Tuesday morning and said she got Randy well. She's on the way up, and she gave him the right feel. So uh, thanks to Stephen. She's just had a funny feeling about it. Like her whole preparation, she's just kept improving and improving without winning. But she hasn't had a lot of luck, to be fair. So I thought today with Barrier 1 and now the way the track was played, she was going to get every chance, wasn't she? It's just whether she was good enough, and she was. It was just a perfect ride. I know he drew gate one, but it was a J-Max special on Jolie Star, especially the way the pattern of the day was. After about 150 metres, you were like, that's the horse I want to be on in this race. Oh, absolutely. Just lobbed in the perfect spot, stalking Zorion. And, you know, from there, it was just a matter of whether she quickened like she has been doing in those races from similar positions, you know, stalking the speed forward to midfield and, and finishing off well. Yeah, it was a really good, strong win. And, yeah, I think James summed it up perfectly, didn't he? It's, she's just improved every start this prep and finishes with a, a great result. Fair old family, that Jolly Bay family. Gee, they've, it's, they've been some very, very good horses come out of that Legally Bay line. Hawks is, yeah, I was going to say Hawks have tapped into that family more than anyone, haven't From they? From Decidity, really. Yeah, Decidity yeah. into Legally Bay, into Jolly Bay, and then another Group 1 winner from the family on the weekend. Well, one, one man who'd know that better than anyone is the owner, Brendan Lindsay from Cambridge Stud, who if we'd spoken to prior to the race, would have given everyone great confidence because J-Mac said that he told him I'd already booked two seats, one for the trophy, heading back to New Zealand, and Brendan joins us this morning. Congratulations, Brendan. Yeah, oh, good morning. Thank you very much. Is that true? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, uh, the, the, I was with Chris and James before you before, uh, before they went on, jumped on the horse, and, you know, you sort of don't know what to say because you can't really tell James McDonald how to ride the horse. Mm. So that's why I said to my James, I booked two, two seats. And he goes, oh, am I going back to New Zealand? And I said, no, mate, it's one for the trophy. And he goes, leave it to me. <laughs> Are you, um, how far back do you go with James McDonald? I'm always fascinated with you know, New Zealanders who uh, have been around a long time, uh, who re- remember, who can sort of put a bit of context into his career and where he came from. How, how far back do your memories of young James go back in New Zealand, Brendan? They don't go back at all um, that far with James. I didn't really know him that well in New Zealand, and he and he didn't ride for us in New Zealand. But of course, his, probably his best mate in New Zealand is a guy called Leith Innes. Um, and uh, Leith used to ride for us. He was our retained rider. And I, I learned a bit about James. On one day, Leith was dri- driving to the races at Ellerslie, and I had a runner in the first race. And I said to Leith, "Now listen, mate. I said the money's going on today." So you better make sure that you ride it nice and handy and do this and do that. And he goes, yeah, okay, boss, leave it to me. Anyway, we got beat. We ran second and James McDonald beat us. And I said to Leith, oh, your bloody mate beat us. And he said, yeah, he overheard the conversation in the car and he heard that we're going to ride handy, so he sat behind us. <laughs> I said, Jesus, bloody Christ. I, why wouldn't... Jesus, mate, didn't you, didn't you tell your mate to lay off? And he goes, no, brother. And he said, it doesn't work like that. That <laughs> <laughs> uh, shows his professionalism. One, one thing about James, you know, he's such a he's such a superstar, and every time you see him, of course, he's very friendly and very. You know, I mean, he's just a terrific guy, uh, and he's great company, of course. And you know, you'd like to get him to ride yours every week, but um, so does everybody else. 
Brendan McSharkey here. You spent 950000 to buy this filly, and you've got to pay that sort of money for a filly, particularly out of a family like this. How do you – obviously, you rate the family very highly. It'd nearly be one of the, if not the, strongest active family in Australasian racing, isn't it? Legally Bay, Decidity, Merchant Navy. Through, look, there's that many group winners have come from this. This filly's obviously going to be a big part of your breeding program when she does come off the track. Well, I think that, um, you know, what we've got to do at Cambridge Stud, in which we identify, we need to buy into those really good Australian families, which is easier said than done because, number one, they don't come on the market that often. And when they do come on the market, you know, you have to pay a lot of money for them. Mm. But, you know, we we want to mate our horses to, obviously, our own stallions and, uh, and Australian stallions as well and be relevant in the sales ring. And when you've got those terrific Australian pedigrees, of course, Australian buyers turn up and want to buy them. Brendan, so it's yeah, an investment. Absolutely. Uh, fascinating role that you play, taking over for, from Sir Patrick Hogan, of course, and that was Sir Tristram and Zabil, and you've got your own roster with uh, Embellish and El Manzor and Hello Use Main and, and Sword of State, but there's also Poissier at Rich Hill Stud and, and, and so many other amazing stallions and mares and racehorses that have, have formed this tidal wave of a, a comeback for New Zealand racing and breeding. And, and then Entain's kicked in as well. Do you feel like you're on, on the crest of the wave over there? Oh, look, we do. And I think that 60% of the winners over 2,000 metres were New Zealand bred, bred horses, which pretty much tells you we can't breed sprinters, but we can breed those middle distance sustained horses. And, uh, you know... Tell him... <coughs> oh, no, well, Imperatriz was, was bred here and, and, and taken back there. I was going to say, you, you bred Imperatriz, but you kind of poached Imperatriz, really, didn't you? Well, it was by Fastnet Rock, and it was it was actually a fold down in Australia by New Zealanders, but, of course, it is a New Zealand... It is an Australian stallion. <laughs> but, I mean, you guys did that with Farlap, so we can call it one all. <laughs> and Russell Crowe and Sam Neill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and Bjorn Peterson, but you you wanted to send him back. No, I've, yeah, no, very much so. We wanted to send him back. Hey, um, so what do you? Yeah, just on the, the New Zealand scene at the moment, it just, just seems like all the the right pieces are in place. We were talking to Roger James a couple of weeks ago, and he said for for fifteen years in New Zealand as a trainer, you didn't want to get out of bed because there was nothing to look forward to. But now he leaps out of bed, Roger. Well, I mean, I, an example on uh, this Saturday coming up. A race at Bukakoe, we're racing for, you know, rating 65 race, racing for $75,000. Uh, 12 months ago, or, you know, even, t- you know, we were racing for, for 40000 And it makes a big difference because, um, you know, the trainer gets 10%, the jockey gets 5%, and it all flows down. And for the syndicators, particularly like David Ellis and Go Racing, whatever, it makes such a big difference because you can all get a bit of return. And, of course... You know what happens when you get a return from the races? You you tend to go back and reinvest. So um, having entertained by the TAB has made a major difference. Uh, I mean, our stakes have risen twenty eight percent last year, which is uh, which is a huge amount of money. Yeah. Hey, hey Brennan, just on Jolly Star, we were discussing the movement of the thousand guineas further back um, and extending our spring carnival. What would that mean for her now and what her autumn program looks like? She's very lightly raced. Um, how much of a break does she need and can you get her up for some of the big fillies races in the autumn? Well, the, the, the fact is if they hadn't moved the race back to, um, you know, she would never have been there because mm. she wasn't ready for it. The second thing is she'll go to the paddock now for six weeks 
um, you know, which will take her, you know, close to Christmas. She'll be she'll be back in work, and uh, yeah, will she be ready for the autumn? Absolutely. Now I know that Chris is probably going to target her for uh, uh, the Queen of the Turf, or even maybe the Vinery, be one of the two. Um, but it'd be one of those two races she'll target for in the autumn. Brendan, when you think it through, like with the the summer in New Zealand is the, is the prime time for racing with a lot of these big feature races, including for fillies and mares. And you look at how late the wet tracks linger in New Zealand. There was a heavy track there yesterday that they were racing on it. It looks like it's it, it may suit the Kiwis, this pushback, because they have to... It's slower to get them ready for the spring because of all the wet tracks and they lose a lot of trials. And then you get this early summer, late spring uh, transition here and then you've got your own carnival. And then the autumn here is just around the corner. It's it, it, The block of about 10 weeks might suit the Kiwis. Oh, look, it definitely suits us. And, you know, we've got a couple of all-weather tracks now, but a lot of the trainers don't like using all-weather tracks. Um, but, you know, you've got no choice, really, if you want to get a horse ready for Australia. But putting that back makes a major difference. And I would suggest that um, this time next year, uh, there'll be more New Zealand horses in that 1,000 uh, guineas because it's now... You know, a lot easier to get them over. I mean, the problem is that our thousand guineas at Wickerton was, of course, the same day. Um, and you know, one of the one of the interesting things is that um, I was at the race at Caulfield on Saturday, and our thousand guineas Group One race was not shown on the television on course. Um, there was a delay for the start of it, and it ran in. I think Sky ran uh, into so a problem. There was a three or four too. minute. There was a three or four minute delay to it. It there wasn't a deliberate yeah. snub. I remember listening to our radio station, and everything got shuffled because the New Zealand Thousand Guineas ran about three or four minutes late. Yeah, well, of course it ran into the Morpeth uh, race, yep. which was, um, um, you know, and it was a shame really because, um, you know, you could also didn't have. You couldn't bet on the race on course. The odds weren't up. Um, which, I'm not actually having a go at uh, Australia. What I'm saying is that shows you that, you know, there's less relevance for New Zealand racing in Australia than that, you know, than what we'd like, um, you know, from a gambling point of view. Yep. And... Um, Part of that's because there's, you know, there's a feast of racing in Australia as well, of course. It's funny, given the amount of horses that we see either travel out here to compete now, good races, or that are bought off the track in New Zealand or from trials in New Zealand and make their way here. You'd think they'd be, uh, it'd, it'd be absolutely a, a must-watch You can bet on the tab, but you, there's no yeah. bookmakers at the track that are betting solely on New Zealand. No. Well, and I think the, the more the Legados and the Prowesses and the Imperatrices rise, Brendan, um, and Jolly Star as well, the, the more interest we're going we're to gravitate back to have a natural inclination. I remember when Tiakau Shark was racing over the summer there. We were glued to Tiakau mm. Shark. So, yeah, I think it might, it might evolve in a more positive way in the next few years? Yeah, well, and, you know, look, we had probably all over there and, uh, you know, we won four group ones with there and unfortunately we couldn't be there because of COVID. But, um, you know, one thing we've learnt, uh, Joe and I have learnt with taking horses to Australia, you just can't take a horse to Australia uh, and expect, you know, to be competitive. It's so much tougher. And it's, it's, you know, we like to think of the Commonwealth Games and Australia's the Olympic Games. You know, you've just got to be that much better. Um, and uh, it's it's hard to win in Australia, you know, and it's that's why it's so exciting to be honest. Hey, just a quick one, Probabil. She was my favourite. Who's 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 uh, she a mummy to at the moment? Uh, she's had a she's in, she's under scan, under scan to Snitzel. 
She's got an Almanzor filly at foot, and uh, we sent her to Oz. She missed the first time. She's been served again, and we're waiting to hear today whether or not she's 12-day positive. Oh, well, and fingers crossed. She'll come, she'll come back home with her foal, back to the farm at Cambridge, and then we'll make a decision. Uh, because it'll be a later service, we, you know, we might give her a year off, or we'll, we'll put her back to one of our boys. But... Um, She's she's actually taken to motherhood very very well, which is which is nice. Uh, Brendan, um, you've got another impending mother that's going to be very valuable, uh, Jolie Star. But we want to see her on the track for another couple of years after that performance on the weekend as well. Congratulations! Hey, look, thank you very much. And um, you know, obviously, we're, we're pretty well, very lucky to have Chris Trainer and obviously Jay Mack, and uh, got you know we got the beautiful run. You know, sometimes the stars do align, and it did for us on Saturday, and. Uh, it's just bloody great. Good on you, Brendan. Uh, Brendan and Joe put so much money into racing. It's good. Always, uh, you can't begrudge. Uh, they paid 950000 as you said, Shark, for Jolie Star, which is cheap now uh, with that Group oh. 1 win next to her name. What about poor old Kamochi? Um, another Group 1 placing. She's only um, won one race in her career, but she's never been out of the top three, and she's been racing against the best for her entire career. Um You'd love to own her, but surely oh. for connections, she'll get her chance in the autumn, fingers crossed. Well, it, look, it's easy to say she'll get her chance and her time will come, but sometimes it doesn't. No. Sometimes uh, they don't. But sometimes they have now. their opportunity here and now and, and things don't go their way. She'll win a group race. Group ones are very, very hard hard to win. She's run really well in two of them. Well, you could say the same about Skybird, and I know it's only its fourth start, but... It was enormous considering the pattern huge, of the day. Absolutely huge run. Uh, yeah, Mitchell Friedman has uh, got a very, very nice filly who... He's got a nice... He's, he's got back up to his one good horse, attrition, and then he's got to go back up to his second. You know, like he's got yeah. two or three. That's what every trainer of his scale aspires to have is a little bit of back up to the good horse if you're, good enough, if you're lucky enough to have a good horse. Yeah, definitely, and it's good to see. Sometimes these young trainers get that result like a horse like attrition and then... Next thing you know, another one comes and another one and another mm. one. Oh, he, he backed the horse in. Like, she's by Exosphere, who hasn't been... No, he hasn't exactly been ...exactly set anything on fire, really, and gave 110000 for her at Classic. So he had real faith in her to pay that sort of money for a horse with that pedigree, and he's been rewarded. He's a great eye for a horse. Curvalant, every chance? Yeah, she was okay. Ran on us? Every uh, chance. Funny enough, I was at a pub in town on Saturday night. I ran Not into the Royal. No, Des Gleeson's son, <laughs> Jeff, who, former chief steward, Des Gleeson, uh, his son, Jeff, who works in the ice cream industry, and he's moved over to New yeah, Zealand. Ice cream industry. Yeah, like, I don't know what that means. Peter's ice cream or something. Moved over to Auckland a couple of years ago, and he said to Mike Maroney, oh, I'm now living in New Zealand. Um, give me a share in a New Zealand horse. And he, he and his, all his mates were in Cool Volant. And we're at this oh, pub really? And uh, I think it all just came a bit quick. She's just She's tiny. She's only tiny. Um, th- track pattern maybe if, if it wasn't for a track pattern you'd say she had the run of the race but um mike moroni told us at a function told us two things at a function on uh thursday night at the zagamis that uh uh the the run what's his name run was a moral run harry run, run harry run right was and a the moral. cool volant wow. might be the the might be the best filly he's trained so if you you like her don't walk away because there's a huge opinion of her in the stable. So run, Harry, run was a moral. Declared it. You and did. did you follow through? Yes, yes. Had a it well, was a long day afterwards. You didn't but declare well done, that Matt. on air. Well done. Matt. No, I, I had a little gave a hint that it was a chance. Yeah, well, more than a hint. Mm. Just, 
Well, how about you let the RSN family in? No, I think I did. Yeah, I think I was pretty... Come down there to get your autograph photos. It's fair to say your... that it was a, a, an intimate gathering. <laughs> well, right. So there's photos left for those who want to get some of the signed autographs? Yeah, no, plenty of leftover stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll take a quick break. Um, send through your SMSs. Uh, here's one for you, Sharky. How do you think Yo. Roland High would have gone in the Thousand Guineas after beating Jolly Star last start? Well, in the, in the shape that she showed up at Flemington, yeah, she would have gone very well on form, but you factor in the track pattern where she gets a long way back, she probably wouldn't have won yeah. given how the track was playing. Uh, we'll take a quick break. More to come on the verdict after this. On RSN's Racing Pulse, this is the verdict. Claymore moves up on the outside, wants to lug in with Red Sun Sensation. They go together, followed by Mac Tube at the 100. It's Claymore just in front of Red Sun Sensation. Claymore surges a half length in front, and Claymore wins it. Claymore from Red Sun Sensation. Ah, uh, what a moment it was for Gemma Riley, and that is, without doubt, despite the Group 1 races, the Maccas racing moment of the week for us here on The Verdict. And you've got 30 days, 30 deals back at Maccas, a new deal every day for all of November, like 20% off all over, orders over $10. You won't want to miss these deals only on the My Maccas app. There would have been plenty of Maccas shouted on Saturday night after <laughs> Claymore won the Country Cup final. What a beautiful ride it was from Carlene Heffel, who didn't panic when she was caught out wide and it was just too strong and Gemma joins us. Morning, Gemma. Congratulations. Oh, thank you very much. Hi, boys. How are we? Good, Gem. Um, Celebration-wise, how, how far did we go on Saturday <laughs> night? Oh, not very far. I went about 100 metres from my house. We went down to the uh, SB, my local, but, yeah, we gave it a good nudge. Gatsby in St Kilda? Yeah, love it. Ah, excellent, excellent. I didn't know you were sort of an inner-city dweller. Oh, yeah, I'm a city girl. Yep. I uh, obviously trained at Caulfield and then, uh, yeah, Pakenham's been a bit of a hit to my social life, so that's okay. Yeah, it's a fair commute down from <laughs> St Kilda Way to Pakenham. 56 minutes when you're travelling on pace in the morning. Crikey. Well, I remember going there during COVID to Pakenham because we had a, some dispensation to go and there was there, everything was boarded up in the nearby town and there was a bloke sitting on a balcony with a you know with a banjo or something. So it's a, yeah, what? No, no, Pakenham. No, no I surprise. Can't, I can't wait till you get to the Pakenham region no, now. No surprise that you've retained your inner city <laughs> residence. Got electricity yeah. now, Matt. <laughs> yeah, it's good for the horses. They love it. They get around it. Uh, but I'd prefer to, to live out this way. Gee, um, there's an SMS that's come through here which quite um, is ironic after what Matt just said. Come on, guys, you're embarrassing yourself, you city slickers. Get out of the city and you'll really find out what we country folk like to do and how we dress. So there you go, Matt. I think that was directed at you. Yeah, it's, a, no, it's well, definitely you, you cop that, Matt. But I'm, I'm all for I'm that just saying. Stuff. I, well, I was saying they like to dress up, is what I was saying. And Gemma, you might you will have noticed this at the Country Cups, and we're talking about the Roma Cup, where all the the youngins were there, all dressed up, and you know this talk about relaxed racing. But I, I find that the young we're getting off the off the t- subject a bit, but I find that um, when you go out the bush, uh, when there's a once a year, like a big social event, like a race winning, I think they do like to dress up, don't they? Oh, yeah. We travelled. We went to Coleraine, which is as far as you want to really go, isn't it? And um, there was plenty of people there dressed up. All the girls had their fascinators on, makeup, everything going on, and the boys were suited up. So I don't think it matters where you are. I think uh, people do put in an effort. It's a fancy day out, and they like to get around it. Tell us about Claydmore, 
Gemma, where did this horse come from? I'm looking back to yearling sales and it was passed in. How did you come across this horse? Uh, so, Lenny Russo purchased this horse for a client uh, as a pin hook. And um, I think they bought him for, I think it was 80000 and You'll have to Google it to get the exact amount. But it's around the 80000 mark. A done deal colt out of a reduced choice mare, so the best possible cost you can come across uh, for done deal. And he, yeah, he passed in. I think he passed in. I think his reserve was 70. No one came back uh, or rang for him afterwards. And I just happened to uh, meet Lenny's uh, clients on our way to Magic Moons uh, in Perth one year. And I just said, oh, look, I find it pretty easy to sell horses. If uh, any of your horses pass in, give me a call. Um, if I like it, I'm happy to sell it for you. And he rang me and he had Claymore. I went up and had a, a look at him. He was extremely naughty. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's the way carrying on at the sales, I could, um, I could see why he passed in. But no, he was probably a little bit small at that time, but then we took him on, and within six months, he looked like a beast. So, um, yeah, we got him for, I think it was maybe around 60000 I ended up syndicating him for, so it wasn't a lot of money, but he sold within sort of two weeks, and he's been in my system ever since. Well, it's been a great success story. I just want to ask you about, the lens you see racing through because you wear a couple of hats now and so does Amy Yagi and so does Charlotte Littlefield with the the work you're doing for racing.com and you're seeing it a little bit through a media lens and and not necessarily a a, a participant lens do you a do you enjoy it b do you is it sort of essential given it's hard to earn a decent crust as a trainer and does it give you a different angle as the way you see the sport uh early on it's Yes, um, it is, you know, my job as an interviewer is, like I have a few, um, you know, young people that I got on that aren't that exposed to media that I got on for some interviews on Derby Day and they're a little bit sort of anxious and, oh, don't make us look like a fool. And I, I said to them, you know, my job is to make you look like the star, to bring positivity, to shine light on you. So if I'm not doing that, then I'm not doing my job right. So it does force you to look at all the positive aspects of the industry um, and even the correspondent role that I was doing down in the Gibson region, it's so hard not to, you know, vibe and feel everyone's happy energy when you're there firsthand interviewing the trainer as soon as the horse wins and the jockey as soon as the horse. It's hard not to be happy for them. It's no longer really a competition. When you're against them, you know, it's a competition, but when you're watching it all unfold and you've got nothing to do with it all, it's really, uh, it's different. You, yeah, you, you, you look at everything very, very positively. Between yourself and Amy and Charlotte and also Jane Ivel, we've got female voices in that broadcast that, are active participants. You know, none of you are retired or did your best work 15 years ago or anything like that. You are in the game right here, right now. So that's the other thing you bring with your voice is actual user knowledge. You're, you're at the coalface right now and, and you understand what the challenges are to those people that you get on camera. Uh, yeah, well, the feedback has been really good. Uh, there's been a lot of positive feedback from big players in the industry who I didn't think would even send out messages saying, you know, really enjoy uh, your interviews and your insight. Um, it's very different. So, um, yeah, I guess it's, it's only positive to be in it. For, I mean, because, well, I've been a jockey. I've uh, been, I've sort of been everything. Um, I was, I've uh, been travelling foreman, used to represent Mick Price um, in his interviews. So I kind of understand as well what it's like to be, I guess, either a foreman or, you know, a senior 
stable hand and you don't want to throw them silly questions that's got to make them look silly as well. So I guess I've got a softer approach for those guys too. But yeah, being a trainer, I've had, I've been in sort of all different angles. So it, it certainly helps um, when you've got a good understanding. And it's easy when you're a trainer to have a, a sort of a bleak outlook because you're, you're short-staffed, you're working hard, you're up early, you're writing your own work and it can actually see your view of racing through a slightly um, distorted way, I think. Like, the, the trainers, uh, they're a difficult group in a way because they, they've, they've ever, there's a lot of self-interest and a lot of them are, are sort of a bit depressed half the time. So uh, I, I think it's important. Like, it's great that you and the other two are, are seeing it through a, a slightly different lens because it is easy to be a bit, a bit bleak when you're a trainer, isn't it? Yeah, look, it's a tough game um, and it's something that I've tried to bring up numerous times. I've even had big chats with uh, Andrew Jones around this and there's some people that are still living in, there's some trainers that are still living in like 1850 and they're really fighting, they're really pushing back, um, Mm. trying to change the start time. But you can't operate at capacity when you're exhausted and everyone is exhausted in the industry, can't think clearly. Um, I think some people are just too scared to change and adjust. Um, but I think if they did adjust things, uh, you know, the training partnerships has become a big sort of thing now. Kieran was a trailblazer for that and everyone's followed his suit. They follow him everywhere. Kieran, and why wouldn't you? He's elite. Um, but, yeah, I've been big on this for a long time. Um, work-life balance, uh, I popped onto it a few years ago. And, um, and you can achieve it as a trainer without someone doing it for you. Like, a lot of trainers are a bit reluctant to take it upon themselves to adjust their own lifestyles. Mm. Uh, yeah, a lot of them are control freaks and, um, oh, look, I've been a control freak in the past. I probably still am, but you've just got to find the right people that you trust. Um, and people that think the same way as you do. If you, you know, employ people in senior roles that don't think along the same way that you do, or have a completely different understanding of training or training styles, and you're just going to butt heads the whole time. So you've just got to find the right people. What was that moment like for you, Gemma? Because we, we spoke, uh, I think on Thursday or Friday about how you specifically off the back of what you've just been talking about, have tailored your training um, establishment around only having uh, a handful of horses because you don't want to go too big. Uh, They're all your individual pets that you love them. But to win a half a million dollar race on a Saturday, a feature race, uh, it was great pictures on dot-com post-race. But what was that moment like? Oh, it was crazy. I was there with Brooke and we looked at each other when he was coming down the... Uh, the last straight there and he was <laughs> we looked at each other and we said oh he's chucking like Mooney Valley he's right in this and he was <laughs> he was not as bad as Mooney Valley <laughs> he was really pulling that day he had his tongue out the side and anyway um yeah it was pretty loose wasn't it I took a long time to come back to the media to start getting interviewed because I was almost throwing up and I was a bit overwhelmed so I needed to <laughs> and, and, and you've got to be true to what you said. Remember you said all the staff are going to get a decent whack up out of this so just yeah. remember that. Oh, they already know. They yeah. get they, um, they get kicked back from any horses that are first to third so this hmm. is obviously no different. They're well looked after. They know I appreciate them. Uh, there's an SMS saying, hey, what day are you shouting the Garfield Hotel? <laughs> I haven't been in the Garfield Hotel in a long time, actually. Um, were, were you asked not to return? Or? <laughs> it's a good spot, the Garfield Hotel. <laughs> I wasn't. I just, uh, I've just been busy. Got a lot on. Hey, what do you do uh, with Claymore now? He's the sort of horse that uh, he bounces back very quickly. So, look, he's been up 11 starts, but uh, he's probably only going to have a three-week break. There's no injuries there whatsoever, so he doesn't need any time to repair 
in that sense. So he'll just have three weeks. He'll get right back on his toes um, with the three weeks off. And i just got to see what these boys, uh, the handicappers, rate him. I had a big chat with them uh, leading into this. It's a bit of a different race. I'm hoping six points. It might be a little bit more. Like, Bankless Choice was pretty high up there. So it was a high... You know, some good horses in there, so they might rate me a bit higher. But the initial plan was I want to try and get Victorian Country Horse of the Year with him, which he's well and truly on his way, but wouldn't mind securing that. But, um, yeah, he was got to head to the Valley end of January, first up in a mile, then Colac Cup, Launceston Cup, Adelaide Cup, pissed him out the 3,200, and then little fresh and back mm-hmm. to the Warrnambool Cup. That was his uh, next program. And it'll be something similar to that, depending on the rating. That, that'll, we, we really want to see him at the 3,200. Um, and a heavy 10, 23, whatever the Waterville Cup is, that'll be about right up his alley. He's a brilliant, heavy track horse. So uh, that's his prep. And then he's going to have a good spell after May. <laughs> I was going to say, I hope they could tempt you down to Tasmania. It'd be a beautiful horse to take down there for those cups and such yeah. good money too down there. Yeah, he would. It'd just be, you know, whether we could get a flight. There's only 11 days between uh, Launceston Cup and uh, Adelaide Cup, so we'd need to be getting a flight directly from Launceston to Adelaide. It's probably a bit much to to boat him back and then truck him over. So it just depends on how logistically it works. Um, And, and if I mean, like getting ahead of ourselves here, let's do that because it's free to dream. Heavy 10 last year in the Sydney Cup. If the Sydney Cup happened to look like it's going to be heavy, like I would venture that way if you could, you know, Mm. it's Mm. the one. Why not? Uh, you've got a horse who's uh, uh, just improving every time he goes to the track. Uh, you've done a great, really you've done a great job with him, Gemma. Well done. Thank you, Gemma Riley, joining us here. All right, that for me, I know the group ones were great, but that was the the story of the day. And you got to give Racing Victoria a pat on the back because I love that concept yeah. of that race. You know, you go through the country cups, you have a final, half a million dollars, and you get a story like that. Well, if you have a a race on for the Essentially, not that Gemma's a battler, but for the for that end, that line of sort of trainer, if you, inevitably you're going to get great scenes afterwards because they're going to be thrilled because it's not Chris Waller and it's not Gay Waterhouse, uh, it's uh, it's someone who will not experience it very often. So you get that sort of look, don't you? I think they were the two home runs on Saturday. The the repositioning of the thousand guineas, I really do believe that's going to work well long term, and the Country Cups final was great. Certainly was, and that was the Macca's Racing Moment of the Week with thanks to Macca's 30 deals in 30 days. A new deal every day for November. 20% off all orders over 10 bucks. You don't want to miss these, so get them on the My Macca's app. Just quickly while we finish up uh, Caulfield, I'll get you. Did you? Did anyone, and this is not being disrespectful, I didn't watch too much of Sydney. Did you have a look at the Hunter? It, that was a I nice did. story as well with Joe Pride, his horse leading throughout and his son as the strapper. His son's name, this is not being irreverent, but his son's name's Brave. So his name's Brave Pride. It sounds like a, a march, doesn't it? <laughs> like a, a freedom march or a sort of a, a you know, like a. Um, so Brave Pride um, strapped uh, Cole Crusher. The one thing I'll say about it, he just, he, he just typified Joe Pride. This horse went flat chat the whole mm. way. He just bolted the whole way and won. So He's had a good spring carnival, Joe Pride, yeah. hasn't he? No. Oh, Joe Pride. Is a there freak. a better trainer to listen to when they're confident than Joe Pride? You could, you could pose a question or a uh, scenario to him that might... Uh, you know, just just ask a query mm. of his horse. No, I don't think so. And he just comes back at you doubly hard with why he thinks the horse will win. Yeah. He's, when he's in that, when he's got a horse in the zone, he has 
complete uh, belief in them. He's a freak, and the guy that he learned a lot of his freakiness from is Joe Pry- uh, is, um, <laughs> John Sires. freakiness from? And John Sires celebrated his 1500. 1500- 1500th winner mm, over in, in Hong Kong, yeah. Yes. It's one of the great... We know each other so well we're finishing each other's sentences. Well, I was going to leave the Hong Kong for after 10 o'clock, but that's all right. Um, Actually, we've got a couple of minutes. You wanted to bring up something while we're talking about New South Wales racing that is bubbling along. uh, Might be an after-tenner, but we can um, touch on it now. In the halls of power in racing New South Wales. Yeah, there's a bit of bit bubbling along there um, uh, about the attempt from racing New South Wales to apply through Parliament for an extension to Russell Balding's term term of office by another two years. Um, That'll stretch him to 14, uh, which is well beyond the statutory eight. So there's a push to get it um, uh, extended. Gay Waterhouse is not happy about this, especially by... um, I'll just read out the... The, the opening par, that'll that'll put a little... Industry heavyweight Gay Waterhouse has weighed in to support John Massara and others who have opposed the proposed extension of the race in New South Wales, uh, Balding's tenure by another two years, and taken aim at the New South Wales Trainers Association's stance in the process. Massara said it's bad governments, uh, governance to, to make such a call, as in the application to in, increase Balding's tenure. Gay Waterhouse has said, I was not consulted by the New South Wales Trainers Association when it sent a letter supporting Mr Balding's chairmanship term extension and have not spoken to anyone else who was consulted, said Waterhouse. She so wouldn't support it anyway. She respects the views of John Massar and Katie Page. Katie Page is, of course, the wife of um, Jerry Harvey. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was another story also written more about Massara's take on it as well. So... What I'm reading into this is that um, it's taken a while, but um, there's a bit of introspection going on in Sydney, in New South Wales, about the 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 goings on there with the the regulator up there and so on. So it's been very parochial up there. But to have Masara, who's long held a lot of these beliefs, but he's now being quite public, Gay Waterhouse, very very frank about it as well. So it's an interesting turn of events there that is challenging I don't think I've seen too many challenges to the way they go about things up there but there it seems to be one going on here. Well it's already been extended Russell Balding's tenure I think originally eight years was considered the maximum they went to the New South Wales government it was extended to 10 it was extended again to 12 and now they're going for 14 and I think everyone's just said well hang on yeah um, what's what's going on here and sometimes you need fresh eyes. The new racing minister mm. has basically given it his seal of approval and now there is backlash um, mm. because they were like, well, where's the consultation process? What's the reasoning behind this? And this isn't a kingdom. You're entitled to have due process. You know, so due, it'll be, you know, it'll be interesting process. to see what mm. plays out as far as that's concerned. But um, there are a lot of those bigger um, names that are uniting um, against it. Well, that's right. And I don't think I've seen in the last 10 years that level of pushback up there internally. Uh, Time for the 10 o'clock news. After 10 o'clock, we'll talk about the picnics that you raised a little earlier, the Hong Kong races as well. Uh, NWA, what what happened over there on Saturday? The first day of their carnival, the last race was abandoned um, due to some issues with the track. We'll discuss that. And today, I think this is another great idea, which has kind of flown under the radar. Today's Kyneton meeting, it's a caller of the future day. The young stars are calling all the races, including the captain of the commentary team, Matt Hill, and then uh, a lot of young um, callers are going to be there. We're going to speak with one of them after 10 o'clock.
Brands Racing Pulse. This is The Verdict. Welcome back to The Verdict and Racing Pulse, which is brought to you by Tab Breeders Crown, celebrating the next big things in harness racing at the Tab Breeders Crown Finals this Saturday night at Melton Entertainment Park. Talking about the next big things, today's Monday meeting at Kyneton has a little extra added interest because it is a young race caller's day. Well, when I say young... Uh, Matt Hill kicks it all off because he's the best in the business. Matt's calling race one, and then we've got a number of young up-and-coming callers, a few that we've heard of and a few that we haven't. Dane Barry calling race two, Patrick Dorr race three, Ed Sadler race four, Josh Herriot race five, Ethan Mills race six, Trav Noonan race seven, and Ben Spall race number eight. Josh Herriot is one of those names that most people in the industry wouldn't have heard of, and it's great to get him on. For a chat on the day he will call his first tab race. Uh, Josh, how are you? Good morning, Michael. Uh, very excited and a little nervous as well. well <laughs> you've got a good crew that uh, is going to be arm in arm with you today at Kyneton. Mm. I believe that um, this is what you've been dreaming about, calling uh, races. You also call the footy as well in the VFL and the VAFA. So how did you get your break, Josh? Yeah, well, I've I've always been uh, a big fan of racing. My my grandfather got me into racing. He's owned uh, many racehorses over the years with Gay Waterhouse. So I used to go along to the races with him and just listening to the callers over the PA and listening on TV, I, I fell in love from an early age. And I've been doing the picnics the last couple of seasons. So this is actually my third season doing the picnic races. So I've been calling down at Wollamai and, and Mansfield and... Um, I've met some great people uh, over the last couple of years at the picnics. Adam Olzanski has been fantastic down at Warmai, giving me opportunities. And, and Benny Spoil, who's, who's calling today, has also been brilliant with opportunities and, and advice over the years. So, yeah, really looking forward to today. Actually, the, the picnics is a good grounding, isn't it? Not for not for just for trainers and you know the Gavin Bedge goods and the Reese Goodwins and jockeys like Clayton Douglas, but it it, it is a, a little, it's a good practice run for a season or two for the for the budding race callers, isn't it, uh, Josh? Yeah, absolutely. And the great thing about the picnics is there's so many people that um, want to help you um, get to where you want to go as well, and. Um, not just the callers, you know, I've met some, some of the jockeys that have been really friendly and, and good to chat with, always willing to give you an insight. And the good thing about the, the picnics is sometimes, um, you know, with broadcast boxes and stuff, you're, you're not quite on the winner's post or um, you're skewed from uh, the line as well and you don't have uh, that elevation. So um, it's all sort of uh, a big learning curve and it's been a lot of fun over the last couple of seasons. Josh McSharkey here. This might be a silly question. As a mm, race caller... Okay, let's Do you have, like, a, a, a voice that you switch into when you call a race? Do you have, you know, do you have a, a game day voice, a, a tone that you sort of go to to That's not a silly question because, Josh, we there used to be a guy who used to work mm. at a certain racing radio station in Melbourne who had his yeah. Sydney voice and his Melbourne voice. Stop it. No, <laughs> no. Give me a Shackle, name. No. Give me a name. Uh, it ends in Thwaites, you might say. <laughs> oh. And I can have it verified that um, he was in one of the little studios and someone walked in and said, what are you doing, guys? Just uh, working on my Sydney voice. 100% <laughs> true story. So do you adapt a, a a, from a picnic voice to a professional voice at Kyneton today? Yeah, I, I certainly uh, get a little bit more serious, I, I think, when I call, uh, whether that be racing 
or footy, uh, but I, I just try and keep it as, as natural as possible. <laughs> well, you've got the first leg of the quaddy today, so no pressure. Uh, <laughs> race number five. Uh, and you've got the best, uh, the the voice of uh, Victorian racing, who I think's the best in Australia. He may end up being the best yeah. that we've ever seen, uh, Matty Hill, by mm. the time he retires. So what kind of words of advice does he give you? Is he a bit like a footy coach that gets you all uh, around before the first today and says, come on, boys, this is this is our day? Yeah, well, Matt's been very good to me and very generous with his time. I actually met Matt just by chance at, at the tennis at the Australian Open probably five years ago now. Um, and, you know, over the years I've been going to a lot of the metropolitan tracks and, and just practising, and he's given me a lot of advice over the years. But probably the best um, bit of advice he gave me uh, before I called my first race at the picnics was um, to deal with nerves, just pretend you're calling uh, the race to your mum and dad. Um, and that's a mantra that I've uh, sort of used uh, over the last se- over the last few seasons at the picnics as well. But Matt's been fantastic, and as you say, Michael, he's um, one of, one of the greats of all time, and, and a really good guy to um, to get some guidance of. When you when you're working with somebody like Matt, and you're coming up and, and getting your getting your experience, Josh, is there a danger that you can start to sort of imitate or replicate their voice or their tone or their sayings in a call? Yeah, I think there is. Um, I, I was always a, a fan of um, Matt growing up. So, uh, you know, maybe in my my calling, I, I try and adopt some of his style. But one of the other things Matty said was you've got to be uh, original as well. You've got to sort of um, paint your own uh, picture as a race caller. And I've tried to do that and sort of develop my own style as well. I tell you one, you've got to put a line through if you don't want to be a Matt clone. No splendid isolation. <laughs> or on the premises. No using the term splendid isolation. It's a it's a hillism and he's a good mate and he's a great caller, but if I hear him say splendid isolation one more time, it's going to be overkill on splendid isolation. <laughs> hey, uh, Josh, I'll take note of that. <laughs> you mentioned your grandfather and I believe he's the, the fullback of the century for South Melbourne. Oh. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, correct, uh, John Herriot. Um, wow. So I, I love my footy as well. So um, yeah, he's he's been heavily involved with with footy right through his life, and um, and we're we're very close. And uh, along with my dad, he he loves his footy and racing as well. So, so you're gonna, we're all very close. Are you going to look to do what Matt Hill is doing, and that's combined footy and race calling? I'd love to call the footy as well. Um, I love racing and footy equally. So, um, as as you said, I, I do the VAFA and, and the VFL during the winter, and then over the summer do the picnics. So, um, I'd love to sort of sort of do both. How old are you, Josh? I'm 21. There you go. So, do you know Do you know so young Paddy Doyle? Uh, I I don't know uh, Dane or Pat. I, I haven't met them before. I know of them, but I haven't met them. I'm I know Ethan Mills quite well. Ethan and I um, go to a lot of the metro tracks and practice together. So it'll be good to meet everyone today. Well, Beautiful. It'll be a great day, and um, no doubt you'll be doing some stuff on dot com. I dare say, uh, in and outside of your races. So it'll be a good broadcast on dot com. It's a great initiative. The Young Race Caller Day today at Kyneton. Uh, I think it's a name we're going to hear a lot more of, Josh uh, Harriet, as we will the others who are calling today. Enjoy it today, Josh. Thank you very much, guys. Good to chat. It's good when you see these young... Mm. Like, he's 21 years of age. They always sound pretty... older, the young race callers, don't well, they? Well, he's got a beautiful broadcast voice. He's already got a few links um, start there because... On who? 
Well, on you. Uh, no. <laughs> um, uh, no, but it's you yeah. to have a good voice to call races is yeah. is well, sometimes premium. They, they craft it, don't they? Like the, the 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 one who sounds the same on air and off air is Darren McCauley. His voice is exactly and he's the got same. A brilliant voice. But some of them do. They have to almost put on a new persona, don't mm. they, when they do it? Just on the heaps talking about the picnics. It's probably a good segue now to what I, I wanted to have a bit of a chat about. Uh, I'm just a bit worried, and we're going to talk. To, I spoke to Razor Douglas yesterday about it, and going to have a chat to Danny Walker. They're both great picnic jockeys. On uh, cracking the codes later on. This after three years of virtually no picnic racing um, and no Dunkelds and all that sort of stuff as well. Uh, we had Alexandra wiped out because of uh, a, a water on the track issue. We had Yay and they had all the marquees. They hadn't, you know, like they don't race there very often and everything was all teed up. And then the stewards rocked up on Saturday and deemed that there was a wet patch at the 1600 metre mark and then a, a couple of potential issues uh, at other parts of the track. And no one is in any way suggesting that there shouldn't be a level of um, acceptance of how the track should be presented. The picnic's the same as the pros, but... The bottom line is, these are community um, uh, sort of volunteer created. There's a there is a, a, a there is a funding uh, projects funding potential from Racing Victoria, and there has been draining where it's done. But there is a, a tiered system where the, the bigger tracks, the professional tracks, get more attention. That's the bottom line. I just worry that if that level, because we'll we'll hear from this is what Razor Douglas said, because he was up that way and he decided to go out and have a walk of the track so this is the view of the most successful ever picnic jockey about the state of the track at yay on saturday get on the track and so i walk and walk through the mile shoot and just kept walking there was nothing wrong with it walked around the back got to the 1200 and i thought bugger this i rang gary buckley country race and i said mate what's going on here and he goes oh well what's well the, the track went at the, uh, at the 1600 i said i'm telling you that, that track's perfect he said, what? I said, it's damp, maybe a slow five for about six metres, and then that's that's it. So I kept walking. I said, look, I think they, they wouldn't have been able to get the fences up. I said, all the rails are down, mate. That's the problem. Why didn't you just be honest about that? And he said, Rosa, I'm telling you now, it was a wet, wet shoot. And I said, Gary, I'm telling you now, I'll take videos of it. I'll keep sending them to you around the whole track, which I did. And... Um, that track has been—it is in the best condition I've ever seen it in since I've been riding. All right. So what? What have I'm you, saying have you is spoken to the Yay uh, bosses. Yeah, we spoke to Yay boss on Saturday. He said, oh, "Look, I think he felt that he would have preferred they raced, and it was—it was decided by the stewards who said that there was a patch at the 1600. You know, there are options on the day. You could bring the barriers forward. You could not run the 1600 meter races, but." What what I think is of concern here is if the if the level of um, scrutiny applied by the stewards when they inspect the picnic tracks has changed and it's at a level, mate. If Yay Yay is one of the best picnic tracks, if how are they going to go Bucking and Swift's Creek? And that is this mentality. Prevails? Did the jockeys mm. get the opportunity? Which is what usually occurs when there is an issue with a track. The jockeys will walk yeah, the track with the stewards and then say, well, look, I'm not comfortable riding on this There wouldn't have been a jockey. I mean, I've spoken to Razor and Danny Walker and other... Without having spoken to every individual jockey, I would be very confident in saying there wouldn't have been a jockey who would have... did they walk the track with the stewards? No. Oh, well, I imagine they do the same as the pros. When they get there, they'll have a walk of the track and all that. So what worries me is they've had... 
three years of virtually no picnic racing through various reasons and people there's momentum with booking ahead to um, bucks parties and things like that people are going to start dropping off that no, soon yeah, enough I, if, I, if 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 they're not sure the meeting will go ahead so. the other thing is the lateness of the cancellation like should the stewards or representative of the stewards for these meetings, because this is becoming a regular mm. issue now, be sent out there on a Friday afternoon just to make sure the tracks are in race condition. Yeah, exactly. Because, I mean, apparently at one of them that, that someone accidentally left a... You know, these things that happen with um, volunteers, someone left a, a sprinkler on and then someone did this and, you know... But these picnic... The, the, the injury and fatality rate at the picnics is so low that the... It's hard to say that they should be treated differently from the pros, but the, a lot of these tracks are rough and ready. They've got a history of them being rough and ready. Like this is what the nature of the game is, yeah. and there's no. It's not Caulfield. No, it's or not Caulfield. Flemington or but if, anywhere like that. But if you apply a professional racetrack mentality to these picnics, uh, but has it changed? Well, if if the indication from Yay is there's two issues here. One is whether they are scrutin- the, the scrutiny is too high or. Or whether this is is the new reality, but the other thing is, they just have so little infrastructure and so little money and so little resources that it takes very little for a picnic race track to fall off the perch. So does that mean then that you need to look at how many picnic race clubs there are? Well, I don't know where this will end up. If if I'm hoping this trend doesn't continue, but um, I just thought off the basis of. And Danny Walker's going to explain a lot more about it when we talk to her. She's got some strong views on it as well. She thinks that the watering of picnic tracks is a mistake. She said these horses are hardened. They race on fast tracks. If you apply the Racing Victoria track policy to the picnic tracks and you water them with haphazard sprinklers Actually, and things like that. And, and that is the policy that is applied to the, the picnic tracks, that it must be rated a good for. But, well, well, I'm assuming the policy goes across the board and includes a picnic, but I think that policy is what's causing a lot of problems. Is that they, they can't, they can't do it. They can't put the, the proper irrigation on to achieve it successfully. So, anyway, I, I, it worries me because you know I'm, I'm very fond of them, and it doesn't take much because Racing Victoria has minimal interest in them in a way because they don't offer them an immediate financial return. So, but how much does that cost the clubs in? You've got everything. You've got your infrastructure ready to go. You've bought your food. You've bought your yeah. drinks. Oh, you've huge, bought everything. And it gets huge. And then uh, what you rightly said is it's a great breeding ground for bucks and hens do's and people to go there. Imagine how peed off you'd be yeah. the morning that you're going yeah. out there for a big event. Yeah. Oh, sorry, it's been cancelled. It's community. It's everything. And it's, it's the way, um, as you say, I mean, it, they, they are so important for so many reasons. And I, I hope, but it doesn't, t- it won't take much for them to be in jeopardy and I can just see this coming I can see the not a complete love affair with them from people who high up uh, the fact that they surely are, they're too important though to, to d- d- be that, in danger well whether it it, it, it ends, all you have to do is go yeah I know as you do you're, you're a yeah. great you've been a great advocate for picnic racing for well, five years but it's and, and you're not the only one there's a lot of people that go and they enjoy that particularly over the holiday months so yeah, the the risk of losing them surely. If that's, they're over, if they're over scrutinised, inverted commas, they are in great jeopardy. I think. Well, uh, we had a great example on the weekend that it's not just the amateurs, as in picnics, that can get into strife with the yeah. tracks. The Perth. first day of the Perth Carnival, the first day, and they had to call the last race off because of a, an issue that was discovered between the 600 and 400 metre mark. They moved the rail out three metres to cover this spot at the 500, but the movement of that rail caused even more problems because I think it was um, 
Red, what was the Red name? Cam of, man, Red Cam Man. Red Cam Man who tried. And I had a look at the replay this morning. You can see him. It's not a huge leap, but he, he's leading the field. Yeah. And he does try to put in a jump, which is not ideal if something goes wrong when you're in front of the field. And then they push the um, rail out. And the, the interference in that next race um, was quite severe. So it was no surprise that they said, no, we're going to call the last race off. But. How does something like that happen on a professional <laughs> track on the first day of that carnival? Mm, no. Yeah, they had the, the the yay blues there as well, didn't mm. they? So is it just, was it a one-off fluky thing that, that won't happen again? Who knows? Well, I hope so. Yeah. Gosh, they got the railway this weekend. Well, at least Ollie won't be subjected to another farewell. If it's, <laughs> I think he's farewelled out. No, I, and you could see, and this is no fault of anyone's, and you could see that with Ollie on Saturday after the last race, it was almost like, Another interview to say goodbye, and now he's going to go to Perth and do it all again. Um, because he's been the best, so of course, Mooney Valley did a, a guard of honour on Cox Plate Day because mm. last time he's going to ride there, Flemington Cup Week last time he's going to ride there, can, Caulfield last time he's going to ride there. Can you imagine it turn back on, on those who do the interview? Like, I'm not that any of us would ever be in a Hall of Fame position, but can you imagine being subjected to the same questions, the same. You know, it'd be, after all, you'd be going, oh, God, please. Yeah, you but know. You know, the timing in a way is perfect because he can go to Perth, he can, he bows out in, in Perth and then you slide into Christmas and New Year and he can surf and play golf and be with the family and it, he just gets that quiet patch after an extended to, holiday to, to Margaret res- River with the family yeah, after Perth. something like that, yeah. surely on the cards. Um, did you see the win of Ripcord in that Placid Arc Stakes, which was the one that huge. there was a lot of interference. It was incredible. Uh, um, Keshi Boom wasn't bad either. Oh, she's a good filly. She won the Champions filly. And the favourite for the railway got uh, uh, Al Safina. Uh, well, just didn't have much luck, but it got beaten. So what price is it in the railway now? It's $6 third favourite. Roots is the favourite on Saturday um, at $3.50. And, and Maddie, you touched on it earlier about um, 1,500 winners over in Hong yeah. Kong for John Size. But mm, the, the feature amazing. was we got to see Lucky Sway Ness uh, back in action. And this was the finish. Leader is still Victor, the winner. He's going boldly at the 200. He's a length over Wellington, getting through the centre and Lucky Sway Ness. Victor, the winner, still in front. Lucky Sway Ness is the real one going to stand up today. Yes, yes, he is. Lucky Sway Ness rolls Victor, the winner, who was very brave. Zach, very well done. That's your 10th win on this very special horse. Uh, what was your overall assessment of that performance? Yeah, oh, you got the job done. Did it, uh, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> Poor old interviewer. Um, was, was, it, was that Mark Wood, our man from Hong Kong? Um, uh, but, sure, but Jack but... does that. I mean, I remember when he won on California Spangle, he jumped off it and just bagged it, you know. Well, it, it didn't have any luck yesterday either. Um, what about the uh, four-timer from Brent Navdullah? Four wins in Gee, four wins in six races. Yeah, wow. amazing performance. He's found his happy place over there. No doubt about That's big that. Big over there. What was the Japanese horse that grew? Namor. Namor. Um, it came from Barrier Sixteen. Was Stone Motherless last on the point of the turn in the their Group One Mile Championship, and it, and it flew home and won. It was an incredible win. Is it going to the Hong Kong International Meeting? I have no idea. That'll be interesting if it does, because the timing would be interesting. I wonder if it'll come for the uh, Golden Eagle next year. Well, like, my little plan is that we year. have a regional circuit that these horses sort of half hop onto. But if that Namur, uh, I, I think I know what will probably happen, is Namur probably won't go to Hong Kong for the international meeting, but the horses that were thereabouts behind him probably will. That's what usually happens. Uh, I can't find any 
uh, maybe one of the corporates do, but I can't find it in the early markets for those Hong Kong international. How many Australian representatives are there now going to be with no bright side heading over there? Have we had confirmation of who is likely to head over to Hong Kong, Sharky? I don't know. I, apart from, well, bright side was all the talk, wasn't he? Now he's he's not heading there, so I'm not sure. What, what's on the cards from, from an Australian point of view. I know half the Australian racing media is heading over there. Wasn't uh, Chris Waller talking about one or two for Hong Kong this year? I can't remember what they were, but I think he's mentioned Hong Kong. Cascadians in the market for um, the mile up against Golden 60 and just having a look Cascadian at Cascadian would be a nice, handy little measure for Golden 60. I reckon, like, he's not a superstar, but he's a good miler. Like, be interested to see how close an informed Cascadian got to... Gold, 60. gold trips in the market, so I'll have to follow that up. I'm not sure whether they were planning to go after he finished well down. Was Wispin Blows going to pop up over there or not? Not according to the markets, but right. again, I, that's all I can go off. And, of course, next week it'll be, uh, we get to see Equinox in the Japan Cup, which will be... Well, not all of us. Yeah, you get to well, see Well, I'm going to be lucky enough to see him in the flesh, which I can't wait. Wow. It is going to be absolutely fabulous. Hey, I, I put out a tweet on Saturday night because I was just sitting at home and I was watching the... Um, uh, the Greyhound coverage on Racing.com, and it was great to see it free to air, big days, and the uh, James Vandermart and uh, very own Georgie Ferrugia doing a great job hosting the coverage. But the actual race coverage, it was horrendous. Yeah, what the, do you mean? There the, were six or seven different race angles that. Right. It was like there was an over-officious mm. arty director mm. that oh. had come out of the boxes low angle. Then there would be the... It was the, a big Baz Lerman, wasn't it? Now, it was a actually. big Baz. No, it was high, very Baz. The high drone yeah. shot. And then around the back, it was a head-on, yeah. a head-on down yeah. the back straight. Yeah. And then it was a reverse angle as they're coming into the home yeah. turn. You were dizzy. And then going, sheesh, where's my dog? I can't even find it. Yeah, no, I totally agree. It works in some instances. And I think uh, Dr. Turf and I were talking about it yesterday... Do all the fancy stuff, but do it as the post as a replay. Race, as a replay, so is that just wanna, the or is, it, or is it an advertising campaign? But it works better in live at the trots. Do you remember the trots had the overview? That actually, for some reason, ground races are over too quickly to have forty-eight different camera angles on the one race. So that that wasn't on. I'm just watching the the replay of the shootout won by Big Energy on the the tab site. So I assume that's the sky feed. That was a normal race coverage. So. Where was the artistic? Well, I think it was on the, the actual. Produ- I think coverage. the production company oh. is Rainmaker that puts it together. That is shown on Racing dot com. So okay. it's their individual um, director or production. So where can we see those replays? Well, I don't think you want to. <laughs> no, I don't think you want. To. Uh, so, but anyway, but can I just say that I love the Georgie and that do it. They Georgie do a great job. They oh. do a great job. They're actually really, really good uh, talent and the the way that they get behind the boxes and the joy that the, the participants have and all that sort of stuff. But, yeah, get rid of the Baz Luhrmann. Baz Luhrmann. Uh, SMS saying that West Wind Blows is definitely going to Hong Kong. So um, we'll follow that up. That is oh, good. And just on that, the you know that two-run rule before the Melbourne Cup? Apparently that's... Yeah, that's uh, under review. That's under review. Well, I think it's probably fair mm. enough. It's been a few years now mm. and um, I think the protocols that they put in place have worked wonderfully well and we've got to see the, the fruits of that in the last few Melbourne Cups. So... I think, as they do each and every time, they'll review it and see what happens. Uh, Maddie, what's coming up on Cracking the Codes a little later? You've got um, quite a Danielle, few topics to talk about. Danielle Walker will join us, and as I said, she's going to give us a really uh, um, a good insight from a, a really key participant into the issues that are going on with the picnics at the moment and 
um, whether there should be a change in policy for the picnics, and that is regarding the watering mainly. Um, Greg Sugars is going to join us, of course, one of the great harness racing stars. We might even get Fred Kersley on his way to the races today as a going up the country. He's always a he's a funny bugger, Fred Kersley. So he'll he'll be funny again. Hey, no just, pressure, Fred, but just, you'll be funny again. Just on uh, having Danny Walker on, there's a few SMSs in regards to that picnic situation. Hi guys, why don't the stewards check the track a couple of weeks out to make sure that it is looking suitable for racing? Um, do these picnic tracks need more professional track managers um, from professional clubs to mentor the volunteers? We can't keep having these races being abandoned. Well, I would say that there may be something in that. Um, New South Wales has got a similar problem. They just lose them all the time. And I just cannot see how something can be sustainable if you keep losing too many all the time. And another SMS here, which... I'm not sure about this. Is it possible for the picnics to have their own racing body separate to racing Victoria or country racing Victoria? Does country ra- country racing Victoria still oversees the picnic circuit? Don't not they? as much as it oversees the country racing, the professional racing. There's a little bit of a slight detachment, um, which I probably think shouldn't be there, you know, but um, I think that the SMSs are right. I think they're sensing the delicacy of the picnics in a way. Well, we'll hear what Danny has to say. Um, Sharky, uh, you'll be on with Maddie on Friday for Friday from Focus. Well done. Well, you're jet setting. Well done. You found um, uh, what was the Hayes horse you found earlier in the day? Oh, you so risque. So risque. You tipped it at that ten bucks. Good. So that was good on the weekend. And, and you'll be up at Leneva with Graham Begg this morning. Um, <laughs> Why not? Yes, oh, holding hands, uh, looking after over the Dominion. And there's mm. a few SMS saying, Maddie, next time you get a tip, make sure you tell us because you certainly did not uh, mention Run Harry Run, uh, according to our listeners. Oopsie. So there you go. Oopsies. <laughs> oh, you are so cut up about that. Yeah. Uh, if anyone Matt owes money to, though, just, just. You can chip him now because he's cash full. I think I'm. A, I don't think I've got any debtors at the moment. I think I'm in the clear. Something it makes wrong. it a whole new feeling of um, something yeah, the, the clouds have been lifted. Uh, you have a good show right coming well up, Maddie and Sharky. I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Um, we need to take a quick break.